tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Total Education Show, the talk shop for teachers, parents, and administrators. Here's your host of the show, Neil Haley, the Total Tutor. Yes, you're on the line. Hey, how you doing? Fantastic. So I'm excited to welcome the program, Delius Kennedy from All for One. Uh, Delius, thanks for calling, man. And I had to go back and think of All for One. And then when I heard about I Swear, I remember you completely now from that saying, oh, my gosh, that song, I guess, is something that everyone remembers, isn't it? Yeah, man. I'm, I'm thankful for that song. It's one of those songs that I think they live on forever. So thankful for it so how did you guys get together by the way the, the group yeah it started a long time ago the three of them actually went to school together um in the Antelope valley out here in california and then i moved out here in 92 and i met them in a karaoke contest where we were all trying to win some money because uh, we were broke and then we all ended up losing and then uh, we switched numbers, and, you know, Jay was like, I, I have a record deal with this independent label. And I was like, all right, well, I don't believe you, but call me if you need anything. And then one day they called, and I went down, and uh, a few months later, we had our first um, top five single, So Much In Love. Wow, and, and such a, such a, it took, once that took off and you guys got Grammys and things like that, really changed your life, didn't it? It did, man. It was really, it was really a, a blessing. It was like one of those things where I was ready to give up on the industry because it seemed like everybody was trying to do the same thing and I wasn't getting anywhere. And then just out of nowhere, boom, a karaoke contest in a you know a rural town, and then all this happens. And like you said, the Grammys and the American Music Awards. And for the longest time, I couldn't believe it was real. So I was like, I'm not spending no money because this is too good to be true. Or at least three years. And then finally, I was like, okay, guess. It is real. I start living a little bit, living in, in the present. So what's really interesting is you have done a lot of different things after, you know, the, the success of All for One and uh, in movies, but also the talk show host thing. And you've done it at similar times before this big deal, because, again, flashback tonight we're going to be talking about. But what made you – want to do this to put yourself in the journalist view of having to talk to people what made you want to do that well first i like talking to people and i and i love having fun but the whole flashback tonight came about when uh you you see a lot of artists and a lot of people ask you know i wonder what so-and-so was doing right now oh i used to love this person I wonder what they're doing right now when in actuality they're still out there and they're still out there on tour or they're still working in the uh and music or, or the TV industry, so I'm, but they never get a chance to get on, you know, shows like Fallon or or Kimmel or anything like that. So I was like, you know yeah. what? I'm going to work and start a talk show that highlights our favorite artists from the '80s, '90s, and early 2000s, and we're going to have hilarious interviews, and they're going to sing and catch up with them. And I just decided to actually do it. I had the idea a few years ago, and this year I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it and see what happens. And that's how I came about. And that's. And that's great because honestly, they are the people that you, you'll be having coming up are Rick Springfield, Tommy Davidson, Carney Wilson, Marla Gibbs, but we're going to be hearing about more and more later on. But the thing that's interesting about this is that they take, they have bigger star power than the current stars today. People don't understand that. So you're right, Fallon's missing out. All these people are missing out because people that are my age in their 40s, 50s, and maybe mid-30s, that's the people they want to hear what's going on with them. Exactly. Exactly. One of the people that I want to target, one of the networks I want to target is uh, VH1 to see if they can uh, actually pick it up. Because in my view, like you just said, my, my slogan for them is you get them back. The H1 was so huge in the, uh, the 80s or the 90s, and they had all these people who have now aged out of uh, the H1 programming because it skews, you know, younger. 
But by if they add this show to the uh, to the network, you get back all those people who grew up on VH1 and knows what the brand is all about. Exactly. So you're right. We all want to know who that is. What happened to these people? Well, I was creating a wish list, Delius, uh, watching CNN's 80s uh, this weekend, saying, oh. oh, my gosh, I need to reach out to this person. Oh, my gosh, because I'm in, you know, uh, just like you. Okay, where can I find these people? Find them under rocks? But you're in L.A., so it's a little easier <laughs> to find them than my uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah, but, I mean, what are they doing now? That's the question I ask all the time, isn't it? Yeah, and, and we, we, when we actually find out, we're surprised that they're still working. You go and find, oh, they're working on a movie. Oh, they're on tour? Someone's on tour? Like, I have no idea. And uh, who, who do you want to see on this show? Who would be like an artist that you would want to know about? Who would I want to? Interesting question. I mean, I'm into a lot of this, the, the 80s shows. You know, I interviewed uh, Alan Thicke. He's, he's, he, he's, he's hilarious. He is so great. I, I've, been, and I've interviewed uh, certain other 80s stars. It's like, I, I, let me see if I can pull it up. You're putting me on the spot for my little list. So uh, I'm going to grab it right now and find it. <laughs> the, the, this wish list I created. Yeah, no but, I mean, it's just the, the, thing, the thing that you think about in, in this list is just the shows. The shows that were great. St. Elsewhere. Things like that in the 80s or in the 90s, different things. Like what happened to people from uh, All in the Family? You just, just grab whoever you think you've watched, and if they still are acting, I want to interview them. That's the truth. That's it. Yeah, that's it. I want to know what happened to all the Saved by the Bell kids. All, all the family. You know, I was trying to get on the show. I'm still trying. I want to get Linda Carter on the show. From, uh, one of, oh, I yeah. want to ask her about her. Uh, if she did all them stunts. Which I think she did, from what I'm hearing about it, but uh, and how she still looks the same from 1970 to now. So there's a lot of people I want to know about. I grew up in I'm a child of the 70s as well. Yeah, Delius, and then that's the, the and I mentioned the 70s, 80s, 90s, and I think and they have and and even athletes too. I'm sure you're considering having athletes on the show as well, being in LA. And that 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 would be interesting Definitely. as well. Some of them that have moved into the entertainment. So it's going to be a lot of fun of you going and recruiting just like I do. So any way we can help each other out, let's connect sometime. Uh, but where's the best place we can watch the show and stuff? What uh, I saw on Facebook, you're inviting people to the Los Angeles area to be part of the live tapings and stuff. I just spotted that when I was doing research on you. But where's the best place we can find info and learn more about you and how people can watch the show? Yeah, the best place to watch the show right now is online at Flashback Tonight www.flashbacktonight.com And yeah, if you're in the LA area we'll, as we tape our new shows and get ready for our new shows, we'll have uh, um, things go out that invite people to the audience. There's, the audience is free and no charge or anything like that. And uh, yeah, you get a chance to see some of your favorite uh, 80s, 90s, early 2000 stars. And uh, it's a great time. The, the interviews are hilarious. Nothing too serious. We're there to have fun. And we always play exciting games with them as well which are just as hilarious. So it's a good time. It seems like, Delius, your research is going to be a lot of fun. Just going back and saying, you watch, just watch TV. Watch the uh, CNN's 80s, 70s, and you'll have a blast saying, okay, i got to reach out to these people. Where are they? Oh, I know. I want Mr. T. I'm already reached out to Mr. T. I'm trying to get Tiffany and Debbie Gibson on the show. I'm trying to find all those, all my favorites that define not only my childhood, but my grown-up years. I want them all. Uh, All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Best of luck and everything. And let's reach out ever. And, and if I ever find somebody I think that might be interesting and I know they're in L.A., I'll, I'll send them your way, okay? That'd be awesome, man. Thank you. All right. Take care, Delius. Good talking to you. You too. See ya. Okay. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Total Celebrity Show. We'll be- and welcome to the Total Celebrity Show. You can check me out on Twitter, at Total Tutor, Neil S. Haley, Facebook. LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, Total Tutor, Pinterest, Neil Haley, and Google Plus, and also on Periscope, at Total Tutor. And neilhaley.com is the place where all the media stuff is housed. I have two businesses, neilhaley.com, totaltutor.net. So you got to check those two out. And I'm excited to welcome to the program my co-host on Fridays always, Coach Karen Hall, WPIL Hall of Famer, UNLV running rep and ESPN analyst. Coach, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm doing really well, and uh, always fun on Fridays. We get to talk to some really great 
people that have done some great things in the world of athletics, and today's been no different. Um, so our, wow. our guest, right? I know, I, yeah, what do you think, I, Neil? I know our guest is very interesting and with a variety of knowledge. is very, very successful. So go ahead and introduce him. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited and, and thankful to have Coach Walt Evans, who's a former strength and conditioning coach with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pretty big, Neil. So, Coach Evans, welcome to our show, and thank you. Good afternoon, Pittsburgh. Thank you. All right, all right. So, Coach Evans, we're going to jump right into this because, you know, you have a lot of history behind having worked with the Steelers and, you know, the whole concussion, which is a big um, topic in the world of sports today. So can you first just let us know, um, as a former athlete, like how did all this come to fruition for you? Like where did it start for you as an athlete? And, and just kind of give us a synopsis of how you became a Steeler coach. Well, you know, I'm, I'm from Pittsburgh, obviously. I'm a native of Pittsburgh right. and grew up on the north side and um, went to the city schools in Pittsburgh and uh, coached and uh, taught at South High School, coached football there. And, okay. um, I, yeah, so I got my um, – I have degrees in physiology. I got them from the University of Pittsburgh and uh, Temple University. And um, I was working uh, working in the school district uh, with obviously coaching and teaching various courses along those lines. And I was approached um, around 1982 um, that the students were looking at uh, increasing their conditioning program and just needed to upgrade it. And uh, make a long story short, uh, Chuck Noel hired me uh, to do that. And um, I was with the Steelers seven years under Chuck Noll, uh, Southern Tennessee coach. And, and uh, fortunate for me that eight of the players that I trained are now in the Hall Pro Football Hall of Fame. So um, I also coached at Slippery Rock University. And uh, so my background, I have a college teaching background. I've uh, taught anatomy and physiology and kinesiology and biology and exercise physiology. One of the places I did it was the University of California in Pennsylvania there down in California, PA, but okay. also uh, – and Rowan College in New Jersey and um, Holy Family College in Philadelphia and things like that. So um, so being in um, sports physiology and, and, and various areas of physiology, um, the, the link between that and, and football and sports is pretty obvious. And uh, right. the last 20 years, I've, I've been in the health and safety business. I've been a um, uh, kind of switched from the professional athletes to the industrial athletes and the pharmaceutical manufacturing business working with research and development and uh, with scientists developing cell growth things. But anyway, so all, all this stuff ties in um, to the science and also the performance part of sports. You know, wow, it's interesting, the coach, now it's interesting when you talk about that background, giving us a great summary of where we're going. Now, tell us specifically how you started as learning about strength and conditioning. When did you really see that that is – a trait of your, a trait of yours, and you really want to to uh, become better, uh, in better shape, and and learn about um, helping people get become a trainer. When did that kind of happen? Mean like sports type of training. That started. Uh, I started to get into it when I was in high school. <clears throat> you know, I, um, you know, it's it funny. Uh, years ago, when Sears and Roebuck was on the north side, I went by and bought a 110 pound barbell set and uh, tried to carry it home from Sears down to Manchester, and uh, didn't get too far. <laughs> my dad got upset at me too. So, uh, but, you know, it's always been a part of my life to some extent. And when I got to high school, um, it was of course in the 70s. It was um, not very well known yet. We started to train, but it's really when I went to college, undergraduate school, near the other college in Ohio. I really got into it, and um, um, as a matter of fact, I originally went there to play football, but I ended up playing, being on the um, powerlifting team and developing programs for different sports, and then the background, of course, uh, degree there was physiology. So that, that's how it kind of rolled into one thing into the other, and then from there I went to, uh, you know, um, the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, make a long story short, and um, uh, got my master's degree in physiology, and then went to Temple after that and helped their program as well as uh, Slippery Rock. So it's always been part of my background to do that. And I think it all came from, to be honest with you, we all, when I was a kid, I'd, I'd watch Superman on TV all the time. My dad was a movie nah. guy. He had his own movie company. So yeah, I'd see him pick up refrigerators and big ice blocks and things. So all that stuff kind of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's kind of started that way. But, but the, the physiology part of it and the, and the link to performance uh, started uh, uh, during the college years. I got into it. And then one thing just led to another. The field started to open up quite a bit then. It was newly developing and, 
there wasn't really wasn't anything until that point about exercise physiology and the impact it had on sports. So that's kind of how it started. So this could be loaded, but I'm going to say, ask anyway because when you were coaching, so you're coaching then, and then you end up in the pros. Were you noticing, or, or what were you noticing about athletes and their training and their conditioning and the physiques of their bodies and being able to play such a brutal sport like football? What were you? What were some of your observations from high school, college, and pro? Well, high school and college cannot compare to the pros. It's always been said that you go from, it's like going from grade school to college, you know, when you go from anywhere else to the pros. So the players, people don't realize that the players in professional football, like in most professional sports, these are the elite athletes. These are, and, and for the most part, Karen, these people are genetically gifted, you know, to play the sport. So, and we talked earlier last week, and we talked, you know, it's it's the percentage like 0.008 percentage of folks actually making it to pro football. So genetics has a lot to do with it, and it has a lot to do with skill development. And the development of the players when I was there, um, as the game was evolving and, and the, the way that it was being played in ball, um, they weren't physically prepared as they should have been because it, it quite changed from the Steelers in the 70s, even into the 80s, for the demands on performance. So... Uh, I put one of the um, – I did a physiological profile on the entire Pittsburgh Steelers team. The first time it's been done in the NFL was kind of like a precursor to the combines. And we did all these measurements and all these things to determine what made these players um, their ability to be professional football. We find out it was genetically driven, their body mm-hmm. types, things like that. So now we had to devise programs for each position to even make them better from a performance standpoint. They had the skills – but they didn't have the conditioning and the strength to develop as the game evolved. And that, that's what I kind of noticed. And, and Chuck allowed me to do that, to put this together. And so, okay, what do we do here? Because Steelers were hampered with hamstring injuries and all sorts of things, you know? So he says, okay, we're, we've, we've won these four Super Bowls and, and we need to move on here. And so we need to upgrade this program. And, and he, he was a pretty smart guy when he came to this and he knew that this helped and this would work. So we put this uh, individualized, program in place and uh <clears throat> from quarterback to running backs they all did things the base things the same the core lifts the same but right. programs are individualized and that was the key you know what uh, coach i remember talking to andy russell about it how once andy once coach noel came how the dynamics of the organization changed so much he was such a great mind he really wanted to he really was a teacher wasn't he he really saw the, the, what he wanted and to put it on the football field and change the, uh, the uh, mindset of the Steelers. Yeah, he, no, absolutely. He, his idea was that we needed to develop playing strength as opposed to, you know, the bodybuilding and the muscle head stuff. Right. So, um, but it was playing strength and, and functional strength on the, on the field. And he was one of the first NFL coaches to really define that and, and go in that direction. So we did a lot of things that were, different than all the other teams and um in the way we set everything up so it had to be so everything related everything that we did in the weight room or the drills or running we did related to what we did on the field and how the game was played so it was very specific how we did that so coach having having known that so basically you all had an advantage pretty much with the other teams in the nfl because you guys we were did. the innovators. Yes. Yes, we did it. You know, and um, being a change engine like myself, it, it wasn't easy. I mean, it was uh, difficult because you had – we still had a mix of the old players and we had a lot of new players. And so um, mm-hmm. with Chuck's leadership, though, we, we, you know, we got their buy-in and things like that. And, I mean, you know, people like Mike Webster might have had their own program, things like that. But everybody at some point came around, and we were all on the same page, and then – they would bring the players in the off season. I would literally have the team myself. I'd have uh, 60 players in the off season, and all the coaches were on vacation, so <laughs> it was my team. Okay. And so that's that's what they used to call. So how's your team doing? Well, because I had the team for weeks and weeks mm-hmm. and weeks, and I ran the, ran the show with them. So, but uh, and one thing about the players on that level is that they are self motivated, which helps a lot. You know, you don't yeah. have to tell them this is what you have to do. You know, as opposed, I mean, you're always going to have some, but. For the most part, when I was there, those guys were self-motivated. You just had to lead them and put them in the right direction, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and, and it worked for us. 
And what I think, did you see something special, Coach, in the Steelers when you were there, that once Coach Knoll started to really put that team together, did you feel that there's going to be something really special about them? Absolutely. Um, you know, Chuck was the type of guy, it, it was funny, when I first got there, it, it, was, a, it was a real unique feeling. I'm glad you asked this because I thought about this the other night, that there was a feeling about this team in the atmosphere. You know, a team takes on the personality of their head coach. And yes. Chuck was a low-key guy. You never looked for, you know, you never saw him out there taking credit for things. Or he was a very low-key guy, just did what he had to do. Chuck didn't do it for to get noto- you know, noticed. He did it because it was his job to do and was the right thing mm-hmm. to do. So Chuck, you know, his personality drove this. And the players were quality people, too. And that, that's a big thing that people don't know if they realize. They're quality people. These were good people. But they were mm-hmm. great players, too. And they developed into yes. players. And so – with the Rooney organization and the way they handle things and the way they were, um, that whole persona, you know, that background of the organization helped do this. And, we're, and that's why it made it successful. We could do things that other teams couldn't do because we did it collectively. They won Super Bowl because they did it collectively. And we, nice. we progressed through the years the same way. And that's, that helps. Like you'll find a lot of organizations in pro football, there's not leadership, you know, uh, from management. In the, uh, that's some of the problems some of these teams who don't win a lot yep. because there's issues yes. there, but that wasn't the issue with the Steelers. Um, so, Coach, can you talk about uh, because you're, you, the, the whole physiology background and, you know, the sport today and this whole emphasis on kids starting at a young age, that whole hitting the contact uh, of football and then that whole idea of the concussion. And I know that's a big issue today. And I know you've done some work on that. Can you give us some, some insights into the uh, topic, Coach? Absolutely. It's, this, this, is, this is a bigger issue, I think, that people realize, and it's a very serious issue than people realize or want to realize. Let me give you, let me give you some stats first and kind of set this up because I'm glad you asked this, Karen. Let me kind of explain this. You know, um, more than 100,000 kids are injured every year, whether it's playing soccer, swimming, diving, you know, those type of things. Um, uh, I think 93,000 uh, in those sports alone were injured last year, and 26,000 children were injured in gymnastics. Basketball has a serious amount of injuries uh, for age groups, 181,000. Now, what I'm saying here is that also in 2015, there was like 1.3 million children had a sports-related injury severe enough to oh. send them to the emergency room. Now, these are strains, sprains, fractures, contusions, abrasions, and concussions. And it's within the age groups of like 6 to 19. Mm-hmm. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, we, we all know when you play sports, you're going to get injured. So um, there also were as many as 3.8 million sports and recreation-related concussions every year, you know, according to CDC. And so you have 46 million kids playing sports, football, like I said, cheerleading, basketball. and But 12% of those ER visits, that's 163,000 kids involved with concussions. And that means equivalent to a concussion every three minutes. So nearly half wow. of the kids were in that 12 to 15 age group. So what a lot of research shows that and has been showing, and, this is, and as these researches are, are being done, one did show that um, the, it takes longer for a younger person to heal from, from brain injury or head contusion or concussion longer than it does from someone older. And boys uh, recover uh, faster than girls. And girls, a medium time for them to resolve symptoms when they have a concussion right. is like 15 days. Boys, is 12 days. So you have, you have these differences here. And, and the thing is, is that there's a lot of things that go on, uh, particularly with um, uh, football. Uh, and I'll kind of focus on that a little bit. Um, you know, one of the big issues right now is that uh, scientists, and everybody's trying to understand the mechanical events that lead to concussions and trying to determine what kind of helmet, because helmets do not prevent concussions, what kind of helmet right. can be developed to mitigate mechanical forces? You know, for the player's hit, I don't care. It could be college, pros, young, you know, youth football. You have acceleration, deceleration of the head, rotation, linear impact acceleration, which causes concussions. And so when that happens, local brain tissue becomes deformed or it gets strained, what they call inside the strain. And it's been shown to cause, cause brain injury. This is why you have loss of consciousness and you have hemorrhaging and all that type of stuff. But when the tissue strain is high due to contact, the tissue damage occurs. But nobody knows what that level is, you know, how much, you know, how much repetitive 
uh, contact in the head that you have to have before you get CTE, for example. Uh, nobody really knows that, but all these things that go on. So you have these cellular injuries that accumulate over time. And what's can cause and may cause irreversible brain damage. So the brain can't cure itself. I mean, it's not like you can go, uh, you lose some neurons and they come back. They don't come back. You lose them. They're, they're gone. So the question right now is, in, in all circles, is that are we willingly or knowingly allowing a child to play high-impact sports knowing that the brain is fully developed at 18 to 25, but we have kids playing that are 6 to 10 years old to 12-year-olds in this high-contact sport. So the question is, where, where do we go with this? Who, how do we make this decision to allow them to play this game? Because, you know, the CTE thing has come out, particularly in pro football. Um, right. You know, the accumulation of this tall and the high-impact sports, that is right now Absolutely. the greatest risk factor for CTE right now. now but so it also – Coach, yeah, down sorry, to I was going to – Go ahead. Yeah, Coach, I'm going to jump in this, and here's the thing. There's so much we need to research more. Uh, right. We're seeing that even though you've had head, some people have had constant head injuries, if they go into certain things after they retire, that, that brain heals in some ways, sometimes. So right. a lot to do with it is, is that certain brains are different than other brains, meaning that mm-hmm. a concussion on one person is different than a concussion on somebody else. So mm-hmm. uh, I think the jury's still out, but I think it's good to be precautionary as much as they're starting to. But we really don't know who's really going to be hurt by this and who can, will be able to recover. And have you seen that in your research too? Yeah, it's, it's, it's part of it. Here's the thing. The, even the NFL asks these questions. Where does this start? When does it start? How mm-hmm. many competitive hits do you have to your head before you have damage? How much damage? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are questions, but when you look at the physiology of it, when you have a small child's brain and the skull is not fully developed into the skull, right. and it's bouncing around and banging off the skull, that's the concern right now. You know, and, and, yes. and like you're saying, we don't know how much, though. And some people are affected by it, some aren't. And when you have um, NFL players, it affects some, some not. You know, so um, there was a study done that was done not too long ago uh, last year that they took 40 – uh, NFL players between the ages of 40 and 65, and they studied them, the ones that played youth football from age 12 and below, ones that started early before age 12, and the ones that started after age 12. They found out that the NFL players that started before age 12 had some brain neurological processes damaged, you know, overall. Wow. So, um, so this is where it's kind of at right now. Where's this thing started, like you're saying? And where's it start at, and, and how does it impact people differently? So, this all is going to come back to, and, and, and Karen kind of reiterated to this um, last time we talked, what do you do? What's the prevention? Right. What, what measures do you take to reduce the risk of injury? That's where it's at now. Well, what's the NFL doing right now? And what are, what are some of the things that they're doing that you can share with us? Well, here, here's the thing the NFL. They, they've, done, they've done a lot of good things. And I know recently that um, um, Roger Goodell, to his credit, I have to say, now, he has not everything right. So, but his credit, yeah. he has told the teams, listen, you know, we've got these protocols in place now for the players when he's concussed. And you're going to follow these protocols, the athletic trainers, the coaches, the organization. If you don't do that, we're going to fine you $100,000 for each one, $150,000 for every time you do this. Plus, we're going to take your entire training staff and coaching staff and retrain them on this again. And if, if you don't follow that after that, now it's to a point where they're going to start taking draft picks away. Now, that's from a disciplinary action part of that. But a lot of the teams right now, obviously the NFL, they've cut out a lot of contact in their training camps uh, during the in-season practices. Uh, tra- uh, the Seattle Seahawks are training their folks to tackle like they do in rugby. And Rod Woodson, who used to play for the Steelers, now coaches for the Oakland Raiders, is a big proponent of tackling how to tackle without using the head. So the number one thing they're teaching them to do is there's continued enforcement and there's going to be a ban soon on contact with the head and blocking back in the NFL, as it is with most teams. So, but they're also saying, listen, you coaches, you know, uh, you need to coach this in your, in your, in your program, the skills of blocking tackling to protect these players. So Goodell, you know, he wants to protect the shield, right? But he's got to protect the players. And I think he's finally come around to realize that and he's got the right people in line now 
to help do that. So that's one of the big things they're doing. The other thing they're doing is about equipment, uh, the evolution of the equipment, like we talked about the helmet and things like that. So uh, the rule changes they've made, um, so they've been experimenting with uh, when you get a touchback, you start the 25-yard line, and it even goes down to what um, Pop Warner has done. And this, this filters up all the way to the top that they've eliminated the kickoff. So you have all these things going on. So the NFL is trying to do a lot of things. You know, after they've gotten through this denial of, of, of the relationship between uh, head trauma and uh, dementia and, and Alzheimer's and things like that. So they're really trying to do a lot of things. So it's, it's the rules being adhered to. It's the enforcement of uh, the proper way to tackle and uh, the uh, concussion protocols, all those things. So they're trying to make an effort to do that. And what is your uh, coach, what do you feel the, so the NFL is doing a better job, even this funny thing, I have to bring this up, professional wrestling is doing even a better job at that they understand mm-hmm. that it's not safe to be taking those chair shots to the head, which I took a lot of them, coach, when I was a professional mm-hmm. wrestler. That they, like one of the biggest kings of a hardcore, Tommy Dreamer, is not believes in taking headshots with chairs in, to the head anymore. So we're learning more and more about the dangers of this. And I think the, the precautions, as I said, but I, I think that just ultimately the NFL can't be all to blame, but now they need to make the changes. If they're forcing guys and guys don't make the team because they have a lot of concussions, then people aren't going to say anything. So it has to be a community-based thing that, guess what, as a coach, mm-hmm. I'm not going to throw my best player out there with a concussion so that a, a smaller-tier player will never complain about a concussion because they want to stay on the field. Right. I think with the yeah, that, that does happen. And But like you said, now they're being basically forced or in, enforcing that this is how we're going to do this now. And so when they have their new concussion spotters on the field and and the, it, it all comes back to it all comes back to educating the, the NFL coaches, and they, they do get these massive beatings, and people do come in neurologists, and they, they educate the coaches on, hey, this is this is the problem we got here. You know, regardless if we cause it or not, but it's here. We we have it. You know, so. Um, but even on the um, the high school and youth level, they got to provide training to these coaches and officials to help them take the steps to prevent and recognize concussions and respond the right way. You know, this is where it's going to have to start at, also. Instruct them how to, to uh, do the proper techniques to, uh, while they're playing and, and the rule changes and enforcing those rules. And it even comes back to proper training and conditioning, even on the NFL level, you know, ensuring they get the right medical care, you know, that they understand signs of concussions and physicians are in, on, in the ball game. And so you're right. It's, it's a lot of stuff. So the NFL really has to lead the way on this and, and, and set the example. I know we're running out of time, but I know one thing that we didn't get a chance to talk about, maybe a part two here, Neil, but the whole uh-huh. business side of this, the economic side, because I'm sure that yeah. has a lot to do with how things move, um, you know, at the collegiate and professional level. So, you know, not not today, but I'm sure that's something yeah. that's possible in the future, Neil. Definitely. I have a, I have a question for Coach. Coach, um, did, how many years were you at the Steelers? Seven. What years? 82 through 89, up to 89. 82 through 89, okay. And you just really – so you saw the, the ending of the Steelers' super dynasty to leading up to – was Coach – did you have Coach Cower too? Uh, no. In your – No, just Chuck. No. Just, just, uh, just right to that point right before Cower right. came. Got you, got you. Okay. And, you know, people ask and, sometimes, well, who, who – yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was saying, go ahead, go, go, Coach. Sorry about that. No, people ask, well, who'd you train in? Well, Mike Webster, I trained, you know, so, um, and I was roommates with Terry Bradshaw here and there. So there was a close relationship between me and, and a lot of these players and for the reason of being, you know, uh, I spent probably more time with them than any coach did or anybody did because I was always with yeah. them, uh, you know, every day, every day for a year. Yeah. So, uh, so it's, uh, but like you're saying, like uh, Karen's saying, it's it's a business, you know, and there's business decisions were made, the wrong, I think, ones were made here uh, in the past few years uh, concerning the NFL and addressing this. And that was a business decision while they did that. So, but now I think that that's all cleared out and they're moving in the right direction. But the players I have Coach are the ones also, that have big impacts. Coach, also what I was thinking is because of what happened to Mike Webster, is that your mission to get out there and, 
and and help kids, especially with the not end up with uh, you know having traumatic brain injury, and to really look at uh, CTE and 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 really educate. Yeah, that's a big part of it because you know uh, it's telling Karen that because I was there, I saw yeah. uh, how practices were conducted, how things were done, and, and, and what Mike went through, and um, so. It all comes back, and, you know, and the thing is, I, I said this in, in an article in the newspaper down here in Texas not too long ago, and it said, I said, this is one of the greatest uh, discoveries in sports history because this is going to impact all sports, all ages, everything, and we're going to look at this yeah. thing totally different. Now, it's completely different when you watch a game. It's going to be completely different. Someday, there may be a time where they're going to have a, um, like drinking, you have certain age when you go drinking and boating or driving, they're going to have a legal age at some point of when you can have contact you know, um, um, with the brain, as far as sports go, they may limit that. So as research goes on, so it's, this is going to be very interesting what happens. But I think the bottom line is the parents need to get educated, the coaches need to get educated and strict to these guidelines, and, and people who rule these organizations need to make sure that's structured right. Walt, do you, have a, do you have a place we can find information on you and stuff, people, or should they just Google you or contact? i tell you, if um, – um, they can email me if they like. They can do that. Okay, great. What's your email? It is W Evans and then E R G O at yahoo.com. All right. Well, very, very interesting uh, conversation, Coach. Again, uh, enjoyed talking with both of you. And, and this head injury thing, we need to figure it out. We need to speak about it. But we also have to make parents understand that there can be healing through rest. Just like the body recovers from injury, the brain can. But multiple times the brain doesn't recover, that's when the problems occur. And then that's when it becomes worse and worse. It's the same thing. You don't treat an ankle, right? Coach, what happens? And it never gets treated. It's going to get worse, and then at one point you won't have to be able to use it at all. So, Well, thanks, guys, for calling. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Coach. Thank you, I'd yeah. say, Coach. Bye-bye. Thanks. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. All right, that was Total hey. Celebrity Show. Audrey, are you on the line? Hi, yeah, I'm here. Fantastic. Excited to welcome the program, Audrey Walters of AMC's Preacher. Audrey, thanks for calling, and uh, how are things where you're at? How's the weather? It's beautiful in Pittsburgh right now. Thank you. Yeah, um, it's gorgeous here. I'm in Colorado right now, and uh, beautiful weather. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're, we're going we're gonna to discuss two things today, uh, AMC's Preacher okay. and then also talk to the camera. So tell us specifically how you learned about that project, AMC's Preacher and stuff. Well, um, let's see. I, I've been, you know, auditioning for projects for a while, and uh, that one came across, and honestly it had a, a fake title, so I didn't even realize what the, what the show was. And we also had a fake script. So I went in and auditioned for it and got the call back and, you know, and then I found out I booked it. So I didn't really even realize what the show was until I booked it. <laughs> so, um, anyway, yeah, it was kind of fun. And, I, and, and then once I booked it, too, then I got the real script. And, um, and it turned out to be such a fun project. And I was lucky enough where they invited me back for three episodes. So, um so got to know the cast and the crew really, really well. Great team of people. All right. What was your role? Uh, what, do you, what do you play on AMC's Preacher? So I play one of the townspeople. I play Jenny. Um, she's a waitress in the diner where um, pretty regularly. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it was an exciting to have a role like this, work with a, a great cast and all that, right? Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, um, they're a great group of people, just lots of fun energy. And, I mean, as you could tell from the show, the show is so out of the box and something totally different. And what I loved about all, everyone who's working on the show, they're just so down to earth and just so excited to make something awesome. Hey, that's, that's, that's great, for sure. But really, yeah. I wanted to talk to you about Talk to the Camera. And the reason is yeah. because of how it's benefiting kids and all that. Tell us how we got you got started in this and, and, and started this. Absolutely. Well, so, um, you know, like I, my background obviously is in acting and um, 
in earlier years, I did some broadcast journalism. That's what I did in college and stuff. Um, but anyway, a girlfriend and I were just kind of talking about how um, face-to-face interaction is sometimes hard for kids these days. You know, they want to, like, text everything, and everything's on a screen, um, and and sometimes just making eye contact even is, is a struggle. And so we kind of came up with this idea um, uh, as a way to help kids with their social communication skills and kind of like life skills, really. Um, so right. she was in education and public speaking, and then with my background – so we created Talk to the Camera, and she and I started um, teaching these classes. We were like, we have to have a hook to where kids will think it's fun. And so yeah. we started with a make-your-own-news broadcast. And, um, you know, we started with just basics of the kids going on camera and just introducing themselves. And then we had them go on and, like, create their own intro and outro. And then it developed into, you know, where they get to make their own news story. And we, we divide it up. They each get to pick what kind of reporter they want to be. But from that, it, what's really, really cool is um, just watching their growth. You know, we've had such yes. a variety of kids that have taken our classes, like um, some kids with some special needs and, and even kids who are just, just painfully shy and, um, and their parents will tell us beforehand, they're like, you know, I just don't know if, if they'll even want to do it or want to talk on camera. And, you know, and so we just kind of go with it. But it's been so awesome because once kids actually go on camera and then they watch themselves back, they kind of self-correct some, some things like eye contact or, or fidgeting or yes. things like that. And not only that, it's just, exactly. it, it just totally builds them up, you know. Um, so it's been so rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have a a personal story myself. I was going to say, I'll drive a personal story myself about myself and finally how I'm pretty good on camera. I'll have to send it to you. Love to get your tips from it just because here's the, here's my background. I was terrified of doing any promos when I was a professional wrestler for seven or eight years. I got better really? at it, but I was terrible when I was playing certain characters, okay? And uh-huh. anytime I could public speak, I definitely did not want to grab the mic and have conversations. Throughout that pro wrestling career, I started becoming behind the camera, producing some television and radio, and I started yeah. to get some of those skills. However, not to the point of what radio has brought for me. Once I started nationally syndicating radio and started doing radio on a regular basis and interviewed so many people, I would, I decided, well, I got to do the TV show as well. You know, I have certain times where I was just an education expert. I want to go on Fox, Mm -hmm. I want to go these places. They want to see a film of me. Okay. So I started doing a television show, but I am very critical of myself. I'm not afraid on front of cameras anymore, but I'm very critical because it's just your mannerisms. You can't have the same mannerisms you do radio as you do television, (laughs) right? So right, that's right. the story. You know, I, I, could, I could be flying off the handle, throwing my hands in the air. You don't <laughs> do that. It's, and, and I watch other people on television to watch how they utilize their mannerisms. So it's such a great right. skill, I believe, and it's such for life skills as well. I just wanted to give you that story and say, you know, if you looked at me when I did radio and te- I mean, television promos uh, 15, 16 years ago when I was pro wrestling to today when I do TV – and I, I have still problems when I do the radio, the, the radio interview, the, the call-in, where I'm just staring at a camera. I'm so good <laughs> yeah. now when I'm talking to somebody in a studio. But still, That's I still awesome. don't like certain things about me, Audrey. I just wanted to tell you that story. I'm sorry it took so much time. It's <laughs> just to get a good little connection to talk about that. Oh, no, no. I, I love it. You know, and it's so funny because the camera actually is such a fantastic tool for so many things like that, you know. Um, we, we've been lucky enough to work with a couple of nonprofits, too. Um, one, one program is Asian Pacific Development Center. We're, they're first-generation Americans, and, um, and they're English. They struggle with their English just a little bit, you know, and so we've been um, doing on-camera classes with them, and them being able to watch themselves back just gives them so much more confidence when they need to go, like, yes. you know, order – fast food and they're worried about how they're they're ordering something or whatever you know um just a variety of situations i mean so rather than you know 
get upset about the world and the changing and everything being on the screen. We just thought, you know what, let's embrace it. Let's make it something that can be empowering for kids too. Um, so, so we do the news broadcast and then we've expanded and we're doing um, a new class now and it's called Web Wonders and it's for all those kids who want to be YouTubers and video blogs and we do yeah. like a lip syncing thing and a music video right. and you yeah, know that just musically, there's so that many amazing things. Musically becoming a big thing. Yeah, that, oh, isn't yeah. that musically becoming big too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's been so much fun and just like just watching these kids just come to life and and just knowing that that we have an opportunity to kind of touch their lives in a in a positive way. It's just been just been awesome. So yeah, we're kind of, we're expanding into other states. We started a branch in Florida this year and um, right. we opened up a branch in New Mexico and Texas will be coming soon. So <laughs> we're so Fantastic. excited about it. So you are, we're going to yeah. talk to the camera tours and go to other schools all over the place. And stuff. Do you see yourself doing that at times to get the brand all over the country? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, there's a lot, there are a lot of programs out there that are for acting in particular, but I feel like what Talk to the Camera offers is something a little bit different. It's for more of a variety of kids, not just the kids who want to be on camera, but it also, although it's been awesome for them too, we definitely have so many kids like that, but it's also kids who, who want to learn and want to do something different. You know, maybe they can't, don't identify with being an actor per se, but, um, you know, and even their parents sometimes will, will push them and be like, Oh, I want you to do this class. And, and we've had all these stories of these kids who their parents will tell us they did not want to do the class at all. They were so nervous. And then by the end, they're like, I can't wait to take it again. So <laughs> it's been fun. Tremendous, tremendous stories for sure. I see that autism will be a great thing, especially working with Asperger's kids, yeah. uh, even though they, don't, they call it the high spectrum of ASD. As you know, we've changed right. the, the – I'm not a fan of that either because I think that it was great that there's no one size-fits-all uh, autism. Yeah. By putting them all Definitely. in one umbrella, that's strange. strange. But those kids are so brilliant, yet they can't they not be able to find jobs because of eye contact. They're not going to be you able know to what? find – Yeah. It, yeah. That's exactly right. I. I'll never forget the day one of my instructors, one of, oh, she's fantastic, called me crying one day. Um, it's going to make me sad, too. <laughs> she was so excited okay. she'd had this kid all week long, and, you know, he would not make eye contact with her. And, oh. um, and by the last day, he, you would not even know, like, to look at his video that he did. He made perfect eye contact with the camera, and he made perfect eye perfect eye contact with Corinne, my, my instructor. I mean, it's just stuff like that. Oh, You're like, oh, I just love what we do. I love it so much. So, um, so yeah, we've had so many incredible things and we have great, great t- teachers. Um, and you know, that's why we do it. I mean, sometimes like I'll go in and I teach a class and, you know, I've had a lot of summer camps this week or this summer too, where I'm working in the morning teaching one camp and another one in the afternoon. But, I just like leave and I'm like, I can't believe that I got paid to do this. <laughs> I'm just like, this well, awesome. you look like you found your a mission, even though you love acting, at least you yes, found the mission of, 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 of turning. And I think this is such a brand that can definitely uh, travel all over the world in so many ways. Uh, because yeah. I think that that's the thing. If everyone can have camera, because here's the thing, Audrey, everyone's doing yeah. a, a Facebook live or a Periscope every day. And they're looking that's like, right. Fools. And if you could train them, maybe you got to go into the adult end of this at one point as well. Because as we know, I'm like looking at them like, come on now. My wife and I are looking to do a semi type of reality show on YouTube, but it's because oh, I are? just want to try try that and try to pitch it to different stations. I have five kids of my own, yeah. but I'm always looking at camera presence. And if I don't see, and here's one of the hardest things, Audrey, if you can't see what you're looking like while you're performing, you know, like the professional. Mm-hmm. TV studios like Fox or NBC right. or anything. Yeah. You could see yourself when you're looking into the cue cards and see yourself in, on camera. The place I yeah. go to, I can't. So it's so difficult okay. that I have to work on mannerisms and everything, and I cringe at times. So I'm still yeah. at that point. Radio, come on now. You can tell I could talk a, le- <laughs> a leg off the piano, so it doesn't matter. Will meet me on radio, but 
it's so much fun, and I, I hope to send you some of my uh, TV shows for you to tell me what you think and tell me what, any oh, tips you'd like love, to provide for me. I would love to do that with you. <clears throat> Absolutely. I can tell you one of the things we do is um, in one of our first classes, we tell, we let all the students name the camera a name, and we say, we want you to talk to the camera like you're talking to a friend. And so, you know, they, they'll give the camera a name. Billy Bob, for some reason, is a really popular name in all of our classes. And so we have them come up and say, hi, Billy Bob, my name is, you know, and then another thing yeah. that I do with them is sometimes I'll say, you know, I want you to look at the camera like, like you're having a staring contest because, you know, some kids will just like yeah. blink, 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 right? And, and they're like, yeah. but the camera's going to win. And I'm like, well, you know, and I don't, not necessarily just like staring, but just kind of like really connecting and making that eye contact. So, you know, we'll find like little ways that, that make sense to kids or even adults, you know, um, as a way for them to even get that connection to the camera where it brings their presence out. And you can really see, you know, that what's going on there. <laughs> all right, Audrey, best place we can find information on you. First of all, uh, are, is the season over for AMC's Preacher? Are your episodes finished for the year? I'm sure they're going national or international as well. Are they finished? Yeah, or exactly. What's going on? Um, I do believe we have another episode of Preacher left in the season, and um, and we've been picked up for a second season. So fingers crossed that they invite you back. <laughs> I hope you you didn't get killed off. So hopefully, no, you know how that business I'm, works for sure, right? It takes a little <laughs> time to figure it out. But I hope that helps it open up your does. career more for opportunities. I'm sure you have other projects in the works. You just can't tell us of auditions and stuff that could happen, right? Especially with all these absolutely. Possibilities. That's Absolutely, good. everything's but, a, a non-disclosure agreement these days, right? <laughs> but look at this. Look at all the different platforms. I mean, I promote so many different platforms when I do radio tours from nine to eleven. I never knew there were this many television stations. But the thing that <laughs> I think corporate America has not figured out, or not corporate America, but America, not corporate, mm-hmm. they get it. Meaning the sponsors is that it's moving yeah. to YouTube, it's moving to live streaming, and literally. People, the, the days of TV commercials on broadcast television are dying until they Absolutely. figure out that you're going to get and, – and the numbers, Nielsen and Armatron, don't mean a hill of beans compared to real mm-hmm. numbers that Internet gives and also uh, YouTube and all those different platforms. So people have to finally figure that out. We'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah, you got that right. Yeah, you got that. For sure. <laughs> I mean, like you said, you have Amazon, you have all those. So best place we can find information on your first talk to the camera website, their social media creds, then yours. Go ahead. Okay, sure. Um, Talktothecamera.com is where you can find out more about our classes. Uh, you can find me on IMDb, Audrey Walters, or I also have a website, AudreyWalters.com. Awesome. Fantastic for sure. And then you can find information on AMC's Preacher at AMC's website or also Wikipedia can tell you more about the show and um, all of those things. And we'll definitely uh, stay in touch, Audrey. Uh, best Sounds of luck great. in all the Thank ventures you so you're having. And, and I'm going to send you my interview with Nick Benino, Stanley Cup champion I had to do in front of Macy's. I got a media op where I just brought someone filmed me on an iPhone and it, it, iPhones That's are fantastic awesome. for filming now. Oh, and I interviewed uh, Nick Benino in person and then I'll send you one in the studio just with the people. I don't want you to, I'm working my butt off. You know how tough would it be just to stare at a camera and not know what the camera's doing while interviewing <laughs> someone on radio or like on a phone call. That's the hardest, but when you I connect face to face with the person, the camera, it's easier. Yeah, absolutely. No, please send it to me. I would love, I, and I'll be keeping up with you. That's for sure. Um, thank you so much for having me, Neil. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll be looking for. Oh, absolutely. Anytime you want to talk about talk to the camera, you're welcome to come on the show. Let's definitely stay friends and, and connect, and Let's and and I'll root you on. You root me on, and and I appreciate you coming on the show. I really like the education portion of this, and I hope to see this all over the country for sure. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> all right. Take care, Audrey. See ya. Okay, Thanks. bye. Okay, bye-bye. You're listening to Total Celebrity Show. We'll be back. Monica, are you on the line? I am. So I'm excited to welcome you? the program. So hi, how are you? I'm excited to welcome the program. Good. Celebrity how are you? Monica Lacey. I'm doing fantastic. And you're talking about your new series, Amazon Series Kicks, 
Monica, thanks for calling. And how's how's the weather where you're at? It's going to be nice and hot today in L.A. <laughs> it's been a oh, nice, it's nice hot and summer hot so far. <laughs> yeah, hot, hot summer in Pittsburgh as well. We probably had one rainstorm the whole summer. I guess you can't complain about that. Uh, the times when we have a crummy summer, like, what's going on here? But, you know, it is what it is for sure. So, Monica. I wish you could um, send some rain to L.A. I, I, uh, well, we sent rain for one day. That's it. So my grass hasn't been cut much this this summer for sure. So, oh, well, you know, we, we never know what kind of weather for sure. So tell me a little bit about the project and stuff for, for the Amazon Series Kicks. How did that start? Well, it um, I came in on the um, audition. It's about a and – it, and it just instantly I went, oh, my gosh, I love the show. I want to be a part of it. It is – a show. It's like half an hour. It's got a, it's comedy and drama. It's got something for everybody. It is based on a book series by Alex Morgan, who is the star of the USA women's soccer team. And yeah. she wrote the series of books um, called The Kicks, that's loosely based on her childhood growing up and how she became this Olympic soccer player. And so I play the mom on the show. And um, it's just, it's, it's lots of fun. I mean, the first whole season deals with us moving from the East Coast Connecticut to Southern California. So dealing with all of that and getting the kids adjusted. And, and of course, there's all kinds of fish out of water stories and lots of good soccer sequences, like a, like a good sports movie that are really fun to watch. So, um, and it's, it's pretty, there's some good comedy too as well. Well, I think it, it definitely brings out how much of a challenge it is to become a successful athlete. And the the challenges that the family has to really go through. Yeah, and actually the whole family is part of that. <laughs> so one person's dream, the whole family, if one kid wants to be on a serious soccer team, the whole family has to make sacrifices and be a part of it. But what I really like is that it's such a good role model for, like I have kids of my own, two kids, boy and a girl, and right. it's so great for them to see on TV depicted a girl who is trying to be a professional athlete. Like that is completely unique. You know, she's not obsessed with feeding or looking pretty. It's more about becoming an accomplished athlete. And how do I figure that out? And how do I get along with on the different teams? And how do I get along with the other girls to make that dream happen? And that's really real life. And that's what I really like. Oh, and it definitely seems like real life and something you really like for sure. And I know it too. I have five kids of my own. And guess what? The challenges of getting in the different places, they're all young except my one who's 11, but my wife is a superwoman being able to get them from one place to the next. And I'm, I pitch in as well. And it's like, I can imagine when they're all older, but the sacrifice again, that they had to do for Alex Morgan. And the fact that when you're a, a Olympic athlete, that's so talented, the traveling that is involved, the places you got to go. And this is definitely part of that whole story, but the whole family, as you said, has to kick in and being the soccer yep. mom, playing Sharon Burke. Tell us that character. So I'm sure she had to be very organized, right? <clears throat> yeah. Well, what's funny is the people said, are you offended that you're playing soccer mom? And I go, no, are you kidding me? Soccer mom, there's, I don't take that as a negative, and I'm sorry it's become a quote-unquote kind of corny term because, you know, as a soccer mom, and I'm sure your wife knows with five kids, you have to wear a ton of hats all the time. Yes. You've got to make sure dad's doing okay. And, and on the show, of course, it's kind of funny. Dad has to adjust with all his being the boss of a new company, and he's you know, got to keep him going while I'm keeping my daughter focused and, and energized and, and add all of her commitments. And then my son on the show is, it, throughout the season, you'll see he's completely different. He's not a ball-throwing person. He's the opposite. And it turns out that we've been giving all our attention to our daughter when perhaps we've been neglecting gifts that our son has that are completely different. So it's kind of real too, because it's easy to focus on one of your kids over the other and then neglect, you know, and, and figuring out how you relate to all these different, you know, personalities and keeping them all going. So I basically, my character is very idealistic and, and, uh, but yet it's kind of fun to watch her fall apart because she does not have it all together. It looks like she does. She tries to keep it together for everybody and she looks perfect on the outside, but she certainly is not. <laughs> Sometimes she has to get a, 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 um, advice from, like there's a really sweet episode where my son gives me advice, like you're trying too hard to make friends, mom. <laughs> and I've been trying to force all this stuff, and she's right, you know, because then you see mom trying to make friends with the new California mom, and, and it's kind of funny and different, and you realize they're all in it together. It's just one big thing, as, as every family will recognize, you're all in it together. 
and to be all in that's the that's the important part to be all in and they were all in it together for sure and that and I think this is great a great show for the family as well when a lot of family shows aren't out there where they can really relate right I think so and I think there's something like for everybody like both my kids I have a 14 year old son and a 12 year old girl and they both enjoy the show and enjoy it because there's something for everybody and I like watching it because it's fun to see it's not a dumbed down show where the parents are non-existent the parents are actually kind of around and and they have their own storyline, too. And so it's fun, literally, to show that there's something for everybody. The girls love all the pranking and all the girl stuff that goes on, all the girl drama. And there's really cool sports sequences that, will keep, that are heart-pounding and will keep you, give you a lump in your throat. And it's just really, there's something for everybody, if you're an athlete or if you're not an athlete. If you, if you, were, if you were part of a family of any kind, you will relate. And that's what I really like about it. <laughs> 